Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, got to do a little bit of uh, backing up here to kind of figure out where we are in Revelation, what this is all about. Before I do that, though, just a, a bit of a plug after church today, our Omega Hour. Um, if you're wondering, why do we call it Omega Hour? It's not exactly a Bible study, um, but we talk a lot about biblical things. I think today's is one that a lot of people are interested in. I mean, it's one of the biggest questions I get is, what is the deal with all these denominations? So the, the broad topic is Christian denominations explained. Um, so if you have questions about what's the difference between this one and a, that one, and a, where do these all come from, I'm going to cover all of that today. Hopefully clear it up for everybody, but we'll see. Uh, we gather about 11 o'clock, so you grab some snackies and such, and then be good to go afterwards. Um, but the book of Revelation that we started <clears throat> back in September, we're all the way through today. We'll get through chapter 18. We're not going to read all of chapter 18, but what we've been saying is there are these three sevenfold visions, and they aren't these, these visions of this is the order of things that are going to happen, and then Jesus comes back. Uh, instead, it is, these are all of the things that have always been happening and will continue to happen. And then Jesus will come back. And the, the point of this is, is to encourage the church because there's a lot, of, a, a lot of fear that just naturally creeps in. Like, is, is the church losing? Is, is Christianity dying? Is, is God being defeated? All of these things, these questions that, that can arise as we look around this world that's, that's full of trouble and sorrow and evil and problems, and, and we can be thinking to ourselves, it, it, maybe, <laughs> maybe we're on the wrong team. Revelation says, no, no, no. God is allowing these things. We've been talking about why he allows them and how all of this works, but this is encouragement to us whenever we see these things to say, oh, okay, Okay, this is in the Bible. <clears throat> God said this would be happening. He didn't say once we get the world perfect, then he'll come back. He said this is always going to happen. So that's, that's kind of to set the stage. After that, we've, we've done all three of those visions. After that, there's sort of one big vision in Revelation that covers a lot of these same topics. Um, just more like on a, on a grander, higher level, and this imagery and picture and such. And Revelation 18 is about the proclamation that the world, everything of this world, we'll talk about this in the message in a minute, that's all going to go away. It's all going to go away when Jesus returns. So what ought we do now, and how should we live now, knowing that that is the truth? So this is... Revelation chapter 18, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, 
lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ. (laughs) I know. That doesn't sound cheerful, right? That sounds a little bit, whoo, scary stuff. But let's, let's remember for a moment all of the characters that we're talking about. Were these, were these fit sort of in that, that symbolism? In fact, we got to go back to, this is not up on the screen, so nobody panic up there that we, you don't have this on the screens. And so, all right, you go back to chapter 17, and the angel in, in 17 gives John a picture of, of what is going on and who these people are. It says, carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Um, and then if you skip ahead to, to verse 5 of chapter 17, on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. So we, we talked about this last week, but to bring everybody uh, up to speed, if you happen to miss it, um, there's these, this character way back in, in Revelation chapter 12, the woman who gives birth to the child, right? We, we know that is Mary giving birth to Jesus, and the devil tries to destroy Jesus, but fails. And then the woman kind of is spirited away into the wilderness to be protected, and we understand she is the church, she nurtures, she cares for, she raises up more offspring. Who are those offspring? Well, the children of the church are us, right? And more churches, more Christians. We are children of God. So that's, that's the proper and correct woman. And then we get later in the text, we hear about this other woman. And she's called Babylon. Here's the thing is, is this isn't, by the way, about gender, sex, or anything like that. It's not a woman thing. It is, it is just a, a, a truth that fits better using the, the female gender for lots of reasons. The biggest one is this other woman is pretending to be the original woman. And she's promising the same things, comfort, protection, all the, the good motherly stuff, but she's a liar. She's, she's seducing people to come into her presence, so she is the false faith and belief that we have out there, and we talked last week, we're not speaking of just other religions, but if and when we are to put our faith in, in institutions of men, Right? If, if we put our trust and hope in, in finances or career, whatever we find comfort, when things go bad, we run to. Maybe, it, maybe it's substance abuse, maybe it's escapism, whatever it might be that we run to in those times. If it's not God, well, then that's an idol. And, and we all have them. And you're probably thinking I'm overstating it. I'm not overstating it. Everybody has idols in their life, me included. I could tell you that there have been 
times in my life when, when something hits, I hear something, I feel something, one of my biggest idols is the gym. Go right to the gym and, and just bear down, grimace, and, and throw heavy things around and smash stuff. Like that's, that's kind of my go-to, right? Um, or, I mean, there's, there's lots of different, different idols. The gym is just one of mine. So we, we all have them, and we all work to, to do our best to, to have the Spirit of God kill them. And today in our text, specifically is a call for us to flee them. Because Babylon is a sinking ship. That's our first sermon point. The Babylon image in, in Revelation is a sinking ship. And, and understand who Babylon is to the Israelites. They know Babylon is the enemy. Babylon has always been the enemy. That's sometimes our problem is we don't see the stuff of this world rightly as our enemy. Everybody knows Babylon is the enemy. But Babylon is powerful. There's no way Babylon is ever going to fall. Well, it did. Just like Rome, just like every kingdom and every empire that has ever existed. So if there were Assyrians who were putting their trust, we are in the Babylonian empire, Babylon is our, our capital city, this empire will never fall. Well, it did. But Babylon isn't Babylon in Revelation. Babylon is anything you put your trust in that isn't part of the kingdom of God. So I want to go back to our text really quick here uh, this morning, verses 4 through 5. There we go. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. This is a call to repentance. Metanoio is that Greek word, and as Dan has been talking about already this morning and all through Lent, Lent is this time, it's, it's those 40 days minus Sundays up to Easter that we recall our own mortality, that we do some self-examination and self-reflection about ourselves as we prepare for Easter, and repentance is one of those things, but repentance, it, I think we misunderstand what repentance really is, right? There's, there's a sense of of looking back when we repent. It literally means to turn away, but it's, it's got more of a change of mind to it, a change of heart to it. And, well, has a connotation of regret. Ever thought of regret as a change of mind? It is. When you thought it was a good idea at the time, now I regret it, and I know now it wasn't a good idea thought it was the right thing at the time, but now, sometime later, looking back, I go, uh, I thought wrong. My thinking has changed. It felt like a good idea. It felt right in the moment, and my, my gut was telling me, my heart was telling me. Now, all of this time later, I look back and I say, my heart and my gut were wrong. I regret doing, saying, whatever it might be. The, the action is the action, but the regret actually looks back to it. This this coming Memorial Day, I'm actually training for a physical challenge this Memorial Day. Seems like a good idea to me. 
Ask me June 1st <laughs> if it was a good idea or not. I'm going to be a sore puppy on that day. Maybe I'll regret it. Maybe I'll think, I, I should not have done that. I thought wrong. I thought at 45 years old I could do the, the pull-ups, the push-ups, the squats, the running. I thought I could do all of those things. Turns out I thought wrong. Now that might cause me to change my, my behavior in the future. Maybe next year this time when somebody says, hey, you're going to train for the Murph again, but not making that mistake again. But that's, that's not repentance. So repentance happened June 1st when I discovered how old I was, right? Re repentance happens earlier. It's, it's a mind and heart shift. Dan preached about a beautiful example of this in the Old Testament on Ash Wednesday. Dan was preaching on the text. It's Psalm 51. Everybody knows that, that one part, of course, created me a clean heart, O God. This is, this is David pouring out his soul because of this terrible thing that he has done. Right? He has stolen a man's wife. Yeah, the man killed. But then he was just living life. Now, when Nathan comes to, to point it out to him, to show him his sin, he regrets it. But here's the thing. He can't unkill the guy. He, he can't you know, unimpregnate the wife. He, he, can't, he, he can't change anything. But his heart and his mind have changed. This is what God is looking for in us. We focus on the actions. We think, I'm going to repent, meaning I'm going to stop doing these sinful things that I know I shouldn't be doing. I'm going to repent and no longer do this. That's not repentance. Re repentance, first and foremost, is the recognition that it is sin, that it is wrong. Repentance is first this change of heart and change of mind, even if it isn't that I fully agree that I did something wrong <laughs> or that I fully understand in my, in my mind and in my heart that I was in the wrong, that this was sinful. It's a change for me to say it. But I want my heart and my mind to be transformed and look more like the heart and mind of God. That's what I want. I, I want my, my heart to sound more like his when, when people hear me. I want my mind to see the world, my eyes and my ears to see and hear what God sees and hears and, and see it through that lens. That's, that's repentance, and it's challenging because then we recognize it doesn't in so many ways. That's why repentance stings. Because we go, my heart is so far from being like his. My mind is so far from being like the mind of God. And we look and think there's just, there's just no way I can do it. It take a lot of work, a lot of discipline, and a lot of training. And then if we say we're going to pursue it, we change our behaviors and our actions. But first, God wants your heart and your mind. This is why he's calling you out of Babylon. Because your heart and your mind are stuck on things of this world. And I'm not just saying it. I'm not, I'm not broadly accusing. I'm promising each and every one of you. This is true. It's, it's true for me, Dan. doesn't matter. You don't, you don't get to be a pastor because you've mastered being a Christian. 
get to be a pastor because you've stuffed a lot of useless information in your brain. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you end up up here. You become a good pastor when you recognize the difference between knowing the stuff and preaching the stuff. Knowing the stuff and understanding and having your own heart changed. And that's how each and every one of you are going to be on the same path of discipleship. Any other Christian on this planet, pastor, uh, whoever it is, that's the path we are on, is our hearts and our minds constantly being changed by God to look more like his. But, But we do have to get our brains and our hearts out of stuff of this world. We got to get away from trusting the institutions of man. And I, I spent a lot of time on it last week, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on it this week. But it's, it's all of those things. If, if things go real sideways tomorrow in your life, where would you find comfort? 401k? Maybe you'd, maybe you'd find it in, in your spouse, your kids. At least I'll have these things. None of these things are bad. Being married, having children is a blessing. Is, is it a bedrock? Is, is it a something to lay your, your foundation on and find stability in? Absolutely. But where did you get this wife and, and family? Where does that come from? It comes from God. We don't elevate even the best things. My, my wife is the best wife ever walked this planet. I've got kids that are mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> I have kids that are awesome. But I, I, I know that God has given them to me. I don't worship the kids, the wife, the house, the home, the family. I worship God. And I even trust if I were to lose those things in some tragedy, God would remain with me. It takes a long time as a dad to get to that place where you, you trust your children to the Lord instead of trying to trust how you have sheltered them or hid them away or trained them or raised them or protected them or provided for them or planned for their future. No, you go, I'll do all of these things, but ultimately these kids belong to God and he'll do with them what he does with them. Whew. Yeah, took a change of heart, took decades for my heart and my mind to change in that way. But if we don't, then we stay in this Babylon and she is falling. So I say all of that, but I want to be careful that we all understand that we are not isolationists. Second point in the sermon. What I mean by that is because we take our heart and our mind out of the stuff of this world does not mean that we get to take ourselves out of this world. To become an isolationist is is to not participate in any of the things of this world. If I was a true isolationist, my kids wouldn't be involved in sports. They wouldn't do anything. They they wouldn't be out in the community. We wouldn't go anywhere but church and home. That's, That's an isolationist. Some Christian denominations, the the Amish, the Mennonites, live this way. 
But scripture is clear about it. Jesus is clear about it. This is John 17. He's praying his high priestly prayer. He says, I have given them your word. So he's praying to the Father, talking about the disciples. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. See, the disciples weren't called to then just bail on all of these institutions. And in fact, Peter and some of the disciples go back and start fishing because they're not entirely sure what to do after Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. Jesus tells them, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go off in the wilderness and, and build a compound and, and have a, a little you know, thing that nobody, the empire can't come into. No, Jesus sends them out into the Roman Empire, taking your heart and your mind out of the kingdom of the world gives you an opportunity to have a heart and mind of the kingdom of God to go back into the world, to proclaim to Babylon the stuff that you're trusting in, the stuff that you put your hope in, it crumbles. And, and you can preach that scripturally, and you can just point to history and say, name an empire that hasn't fallen. Name an institution that, that hasn't failed its people. Name anything where, where people have invested and it has remained eternal. The, the oldest living ism or institution on earth is God's church. And it's the only thing he promised will remain on this earth with his spirit's guidance, power, and energy until Jesus returns. He doesn't promise any person that they will live until he returns. He doesn't promise anybody anything of this world. But boy, the promise of the world to come. I'm really excited about where we are in Revelation because pretty soon we get to move into the, the cool stuff of the promise of the, okay, so this world, Babylon is going away, but what are we looking forward to? We're getting closer. You notice it's nicely timed out with Easter, by the way. That's on purpose, right? But today, right now, I want you to know that pulling your heart and mind out of, out of wherever you are doesn't take you out of what, what church dorks like Dan and I call vocation, right? What are, you suppo- what are you supposed to do right now? My heart and my mind isn't putting my trust and faith in my work. Do I quit my job? No, that's where you bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I abandon my family and go live in the woods and be a monk or something and study the scriptures? no. In your family, that's where you preach Christ crucified. That's where you preach the cross and the empty tomb. I'm just a retired guy. I don't have anything to do. Do you have children, grandchildren, neighbors, friends, community? Where are you involved? What organizations and institutions outside of the church do you find yourself in? That is in the world where you're supposed to be preaching this good news. Because everybody deep down to their core knows that this stuff is going to go away. (laughs) Everybody knows. Everybody has that sense because everybody's got an internal clock they're trying to ignore. And they don't know how how high that clock goes, (laughs) but they know where they are. I'm at 45 going on 46. I don't know if I get 47. 
I don't know. Probably. Although the Murph could actually kill me. Like, I could die on Memorial Day. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I've got 50. I don't know if I've got 80. Maybe, maybe I got 100. I don't know that. And here's the thing. No one does. <laughs> and everybody's aware. Everybody's aware of their own mortality. We just try and stuff it down, hide, pretend like it doesn't exist. And this is, this is why we seek the comfort of Babylon. If, if I just pursue this thing, maybe I can ignore the fact that someday I'm going to die and no longer be here. Maybe I can leave a legacy. They'll name a, a street or a town after me. Maybe if I'm, and, and then I will live on. If I have children and grandchildren, I will live on. All all of that goes away. And we have the simple solution to that problem. And it's such a simple solution. Everything goes away. But those who trust and believe in him, they have eternal life. It's the great escape. Final point in the sermon. <laughs> the great escape. It is so simple that that the one who was perfect and righteous, the one who had no sin, took my sin and therefore my punishment and judgment. And then his righteousness and sinlessness, his holiness, is applied to me. And therefore I have entrance into eternal life. I have the resurrection. It's so simple. It's the, it's the answer to death. It's the answer to the, the purpose of life. It's the answer to all of these complicated questions. It's, it's not a mathematical formula. It's, it's, it's not you know, the, the giant chalkboard with all the... It's not goodwill hunting, right? It is as simple as the, in the cross, there was this great exchange, and because of that great exchange, I have this, this great escape, and I get it. <laughs> Here's the catch. The great escape is from the cross into the tomb. Because we too, just as Jesus, will die. But just as Jesus was raised from the dead, he was the first. We too are raised from the dead to eternal life. Think of the tomb of Jesus. This big, like, we don't get tombs like this. We get holes in the ground. It's different. But imagine the, the tomb of Jesus as you die. I would love, by the way, to put that in my will. Like somebody's got to carve a hole in a mountain when I die. That would be awesome. All right, this big hole, and as, as the body goes in, it's like a portal comes out the other side, new, different, raised, perfect, holy body. All of that stuff that we're going to celebrate on Easter. The great escape isn't from this world that we, are that we find ourselves in. It's to the world that is to come. The great escape isn't from your trials and your troubles and your difficulties. It isn't from the, the people that just annoy the daylights out of you, those who anger you, those who frustrate. It, it is, the escape isn't from your enemy. It is to eternal life. And the great escape is actually an opportunity to go towards those things. Not only be in the world, don't, don't just live in this world have a heart and mind of the kingdom of God and be like Jesus. Change this world where you find yourself. 
Preach the gospel where you find yourself. Share the good news. Starts literally the closest circle to you. Wife, kids, family, neighbors, work, wherever you find yourself, that's where God has placed you. Therefore, have a heart and mind like Christ who is placed in the midst of of sinners, of drunkards, of tax collectors, of hookers. I got to say it one more time. So excited. (laughs) If you're new visiting, I said hookers like 12 times last time in church. That's where Jesus was placed. Why? And they were holding on to things of this world. That's why. Because those are the people who, who are desperate and they're looking for, for wine, for drugs, for, for sex, for money. They're, they're looking for these things to find purpose and meaning, to, to deny the fact that their clock is ticking, to ignore the fact that they're dying, to ignore the fact that this whole Babylon thing is coming to an end. That's where you need to find yourself, in the midst of sinners, in that place where, where those people are holding on to all the wrong things, that's where you need to find yourself. And here's the good news. <laughs> all around you, right here, right here, everywhere you look, be the heart and mind of Christ. Amen. Have the kids come on back in. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of a new heart and a new mind as we pray with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and remove not your steadfast spirit from me. Pray, Heavenly Father, that that spirit would renew not only our hearts but also our minds to have hearts and minds like your son Jesus to bring the good news of eternal life, of the cross and the tomb. I pray, Heavenly Father, that that would be on our lips always wherever we find ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand to receive the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.